right. Well, good morning. And I uh, just want to give a welcome, a Solana welcome to uh, the Cal Berkeley students. So you guys are in the house these days. School started. Glad to see you. You guys are a blessing. I hope you can make it to our lunch. Uh, I just posted a message on the uh, Facebook app that if you can give a ride from campus, please message that the app. So uh, just a couple other housekeeping items. Uh, Pastor Andrew, let's pray for him. He is preaching at Waypoint Church this morning. So it is a blessing when Solano can send one of his pastors or elders to help uh, share the word with another church in the area. And uh, also, yeah, I just really want some of you to think about checking out Alpha. Alpha is for if you are like searching, have questions, and want a safe place to like answer those questions, or just get a sense of what is the fundamentals of Christianity, then Alpha is great. It's being hosted by Danny and Michelle Chi, who are an amazing couple in our church. It's at their house. They're just going to take care of you guys. And uh, if you're interested in that, you can meet me or Danny at that um, uh, banner in the back. There's a banner. There's a QR code. You can sign up. So we'd love to see you out there. And yeah, as Derek mentioned, or I think actually Jim mentioned, we are um, finishing up our series on why church, right? And so we've talked about um, why, we, why we need the church for truth and health and um, impact. And today is about glory, all right? And I think uh, that word glory is kind of a nebulous word. What does that word even mean? We're, why the church? Because of glory. Not truth, glory. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Missed that on the... Um, and so uh, the idea behind glory is we're used to thinking about that in terms of God's glory, and even then we're not sure what it means. Um, we're, too, we're, we're used to thinking of God's glory, um, but actually today is about the glory of the church. I don't know if you've ever associated that word with the church, and if that sounds weird to you, then let's take it up with Paul, because look what he says here at the end of our passage that we're going to study today. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Same Greek word. You can trust me on that. Doxa, right? So your glory, um, there's a church has a glory and Paul is suffering for it. Paul is saying everything I do is for your glory, Ephesians. So don't lose heart. And so what does he mean by that? He wants this church to experience their glory and he's suffering for it. And what does that mean? And so I'll define glory this way. I think this is helpful. We'll go back to God's glory. Glory is the perfection of God's greatness. The perfection of God's greatness. And so Christians are called to be to the praise of God's glory. And that means when God saves us, what he's doing is he's making us a neon signpost to the perfect, amazing, all-satisfying greatness of God. Christians are a display of how amazing God is because he has saved us and we are reflecting that in the way we treasure him, the way we obey him, the way we trust him because of how holy he is, how loving he is, how forgiving he is. All right, so the glory is his, uh, the perfection of his greatness. And so what is the glory of the church? And it's really asking the question, what is the greatest perfection of the church? And Paul gave his whole life 
for whatever that is, that the Ephesians would experience that. And I say, that's what we're trying to do. I say, that's my calling. And a lot of us, that's what we're giving our blood, blood sweat, and tears to, is this, that, that the church would experience all of what it was meant to be, the perfection of its greatness. Well, what is that greatness? What is the perfection of the church's greatness? And so that's what we want to jump into today. We want to really get a look at that so we would be motivated to engage with God um, through the church. I was actually encouraged to hear that uh, New, New City Church, Pastor Gabe in Oakland, the church that we've helped launch, they're starting a similar series um, about the church. And he said it well. He said he wants to connect. Their goal is to connect our joy in Jesus with our joy in the church. He, and, and Pastor Gabe says those two go together. We want to ex- bring those two together and experience the glory of the church. And so I think Paul has defined what that means in the passage we're looking at today. Ephesians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 8. Paul says this, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So when Paul describes what he was called to do, what his whole mission and calling is, is to make known the unsearchable riches of Christ. He wants the whole world to know the treasure that Jesus is, the greatest treasure in all the world. That's what Paul's trying to do. And so to help us understand that, I want you to think about What is the most pleasurable thing that you can think of that you like to experience, right? What makes you spend money in ways that you know is not very wise? What do you give your time to in a kind of uncontrollable way? What gets you up in the morning, right? I remember I hated the mornings except for two specific exceptions when I was a kid. Saturday morning cartoons, 6.30 was no problem. (laughs) Going fishing with my dad, 5 a.m. was no problem. There There was a treasure I wanted and I was willing to get. And so what is that for you? What are you willing to suffer for gladly? I just want to illustrate this in a really dramatic way. I was learning about the Alaskan gold rush in the late 1800s, right? So Alaska was purchased by the U.S. from Russia, dirt cheap price, I think $10 million we got Alaska. And, um, but it just sat there because people were like, who wants to go to Alaska? It was like a district. It wasn't even a territory, let alone a state. Well, all that changed when gold was discovered in um, the Yukon Territory, the Klondike River met the Yukon River. It's actually technically in Canada, um, but gold was discovered. And so the people who discovered the gold would come to San Francisco and cash in their gold. And word spread. There's gold in Alaska. And so then all of a sudden, thousands and thousands of people were headed to Alaska. They were called, two, two, they were called Klondikers. They're also called Stampeders, right? Because of, it was like a stampede of human beings 
trying to get to Alaska, okay? I just want to show a picture of the journey they had to take to get to Alaska. So here they are in San Francisco, 3,000 miles. They have to journey up to St. Michael's, the port. Then they had to travel literally across the width of Alaska, 1,700 miles. There's no roads. This is the wilderness of Alaska, untamed, 1,700 miles to get to Dawson City. Then, once they got to Dawson City, they had to go on the, what's called the Chilkoot Trail, which is 33 miles. The longest I've ever hiked is 14 miles. It practically killed me. I'm not a good hiker. Some of you are like, that's pathetic. <laughs> I don't like hiking. 33 miles, and that's across Alaskan mountains, okay? And not only that, they couldn't even go on that trail unless they had a year's worth of supply of food. So we're talking with 2,000 pounds. They had to trudge with their sleds and their dogs and their horses across 33 miles of, of, of Alaskan uh, uh, mountains. And the last half mile was a thousand foot climb called the Golden Staircase. And so I wanna show a picture of that. Here they are at the end of their journey. Um, do you notice that this is not just like a few people? They are packed in there. This is like, I mean, I'm shocked by that. And look at what they're carrying. Look at this guy. He's carrying, he's carrying like a, a, a wardrobe on his back <laughs> up that hill, okay? And, they, and Jack London, who's a famous author who, um, you know, experienced the Alaskan gold rush, he said he did that trail, 33 miles, including that last 1,000 feet, 20 to 30 times. And that's like an average. All to get AU number 79 in the periodic table. All to get some rock. And so my first thought was to say, man, humans are crazy. But then I was thinking, you know what? That's actually not crazy. That's humanity. That's actually us at our best. That is us. There is something inside of us that wants riches. There is something in us that when we can find what that richness is, we will go after it in crazy, crazy ways. And so what Paul is saying is that we have this hunger for the riches of life, and we're chasing it after this, we're going after gold, we're going after YouTube, we're going after women, we're going after whatever it is. And Paul is saying, look, the true riches of life, the true treasure is Christ. He is the unsearchable treasure. And once you have found that, then all the other riches seem bland and small. And so the church's glory what makes the church great is that we get to experience the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so that is the power and glory of the Christian life is that we have experienced, we have found the most profound rich, riches, richness of, that our souls are longing for. And so we stop being controlled by our lusts. They calm down. Our FOMO turns into JOMO, which I just heard from the youth leaders means the joy of missing out, from the fear of missing out. We're suddenly, 
We're comfortable saying, no, we can calm down and chill because we have Christ. We have Jomo now. I love that. Right? Our sense of lostness and purposeless fades, our overly in in intense expectations of others calms down. We have found what our souls long for, and it never stops welling up. It's inexhaustible. It's what Lauren talked about a few weeks ago, this spring of living water that just fills us up. Now, does anyone see a problem with what I just talked about? Does anyone feel a problem with what I just said? Because I feel it. I felt it as soon as I read that phrase, the unsearchable richness of Christ. It feels like a big elephant on my heart. I don't experience Christ like that. I don't experience Christ. I, I wouldn't say I'm a Klondiker for Jesus. If that's a picture of those that Alaskan gold rush, of the way we're supposed to pursue Christ, I don't think that's me. I think Jesus, he's often maybe one of the riches of my life, but often not the greatest. And I don't know if I'm alone in that. Can you guys feel me on that? So yes, he's the treasure. We know that. But man, we struggle to experience that. And so here's what I think faith is. Here's what I think faith is. It's when we've tasted it. Faith is somebody who has tasted Jesus as that unsearchable, unfathomable richness that we are looking for. We've tasted it and we can see this passage and we can say, that's right. And we long and hunger to experience that. And we're willing to give our whole life to chase after that treasure. That's what faith is. Is to say, you know what? I don't really experience that, but I want to. I don't really experience that all the time, but I've tasted it. I know that's the true treasure. And so I think that's the church. We're a bunch of people who have tasted that God giving up his son is the true richness of this world because, chapter 1, he says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The church, we are people who say, that's where it's at. That's what I'm willing to cross any valley and any mountain to get to, to experience that richness. And so the church, we are a bunch of people who struggle to experience the power of those truths. We want to experience it. We chase it. We fight for it. We praise God for any scrap we get to experience. And we lament together and call out to God when we struggle to experience that. And that's the church. That's the glory of the church that we have, come to commit, we have come together to commit our whole life to experience and make known the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so the question, though, is how do we experience that? We know that that is, that, that Jesus is the richness. Okay, I can get on board with that. But how do we experience that? So I want to look again at Paul's words here. He says this, going back to what he said. Notice what he says. 
of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So I just want us to pause and soak in what Paul is saying. And he said this really clearly in chapter 2. But he's saying, look, the Gentiles are people who had no shot at experiencing God as the true treasure that he is. They were lost. They were dead. They were, um, in, they were under the power of Satan, it says. They were completely hopeless except for the fact that God got a hold of a horrible sinner like the Apostle Paul who was persecuting the church and knocked him off his horse and said, Paul, don't you know who you're persecuting? It's me, your Lord. And so God called Paul into, to be an apostle, and Paul says that he was given this ministry by the working of God's power. It was God's gift to him, which is the divine power working in him. Just feel, feel what Paul's saying. Feel, look, he's saying to the, to the Ephesian church, God is working all his strength in me all his strength in me so that you can experience Christ as a treasure. And so, do you know what that means for us today? Do you, I was thinking about this. Do you know what that means for me? That I am so lost, I am so weak and hopeless that unless God gets a hold of you and you and you, and, gives, and works his divine power in you beyond what you could believe. Works his divine power in you. Unless he does that, I have no shot at experiencing Christ as the treasure that he is. Unless minister of the, of the gospel help me, I have no shot. And you have no shot. Unless God saves sinners and calls them to be ministers to one another. In other words, without the people of God. Without the church, I cannot experience the richness of Christ. A phrase that helped me understand this, I read this recently, is this idea of collective agency. We understand the idea of personal agency. Personal agency is the idea that we have the ability to uh, affect the world around us. Our behavior can accomplish the things that we want to be able to achieve in this world. That's personal agency. Collective agency, though, is acknowledging that there are certain things we can't accomplish unless we help each other. That's the church. That's the only way we're going to experience Christ as the true, unsearchable richness of this world. That he is the, the treasure that we need. The only way we'll experience that is collectively. The church's glory is for God to work his divine power in us to help others experience the richness of Christ. And so if that's true, let me ask you this, Solano, where are you? Your neighbors and coworkers and family need you. I need you. You are the salt and the light of the world. You are the salt par excellence. There's no other one. There's no other salt of this world except us. 
And the thing about salt, sometimes I think we're salt, but we're the kind of salt that wants to stay in the salt shaker. We want to stay right in our comfortable little salt shaker. But you know the whole point of salt is to be poured out. It has to make contact. Have you ever used a dry rub? It needs to make contact for a long time. It's got to sit there. That's what salt is. And so I've been encouraged by how I've been seeing this happen lately in our church. How I think the church works together to help us experience Christ as the true treasure that he is. I, I loved yesterday morning. We had a volunteer training. We had over 50 people come out. And we were just noticing that this is a Saturday morning. The schedule said 8 to 11.30 or like three hours. 50 people showed up. I loved it. It was a powerful time. I love, I've been loving our Gospel Academy cultural journeys. 15 people have signed up Wednesday night to come out and share about how their cultural background has shaped who they are, how they experience their faith in Christ. And so they're, they're having to do some hard work to dig into what is their cultural background? How does it affect them? I'm, I'm hearing stories of, of them saying, yeah, I called my mom. I talked to my friends. I wrote it out. I had to rewrite it. Spending hours on this and sharing it with us. And it's a treasure. It's a treasure to see how God has been shaping their lives. I've been loving hearing about home groups. You know, home groups is another commitment. Once a week, one weeknight, uh, a week. That's a tough one, especially if you have kids. But you know, this one home group was saying that they're experiencing huge answers to prayer in their home group, and they're celebrating it together. And it's become like a thing where they hear, they see God answer prayers together. Do you see how they're experiencing treasure? Do you see how by being together, they're starting to experience Christ as a treasure? Can you feel how hopeless it is unless we, we come together over this thing? Just one more, I loved hearing about how a member at his work is a part of a faith panel. And he's the only Christian on that panel. It's hard for him. And he's wrestling with what to do. And he let me in. He's like, Paul, what do you think? What should I do? That was a treasure of a conversation. His faithfulness, us talking about it. But I don't want to glamorize what it means to say yes to that. I want us to remember, you know, Paul was talking about his calling in this passage. God called him to be a minister of the gospel and gave him divine power to work and to do all these amazing things for the Gentiles. But do you remember what he said, what God said when he called Paul into the ministry? He was Saul back then. It's always stuck out to me. Like I always read it and I can't help but laugh, but it's not funny. He, he, he knocks Paul off his horse, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he gives him a vision of what he's going to call him to do. Now, when I invite people to, to help out with ministry, I always give them a positive vision, like, oh, it's going to be amazing. All the things you're going to get to do. You know what God said to Saul? He says, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name. Could you imagine getting a call from a pastor? Hey, I want you to come suffer and join up with us. That's how God called Saul. That was God's big vision. 
I'm going to show you how much you're going to have to give up for me, Saul. You know what God didn't say? You know what? You know what, Saul? You know what I'm going to do? Is that I'm going to work within your comfort zone. I'm going to show you how much you can have your cake and eat it too. That you can indulge all your desires for sex and money and status, all your personal ambitions, all your wonderlust. You're going to have it all and be a minister of the gospel. Don't worry, Paul. It's going to be great. I think that's how we're trying to work it as Christians. That's how we want our treasure to come to us. We want it to come with all the things we wanted, the treasure of this world and the treasure of Christ. That's not what, that's not what it takes. That's not what's going to happen. If God's going to work his divine power in you and in us, it is going to hurt. You're going to have to lose something. But for God's name, that's what he's inviting us to. That's the glory he's calling us to. And so Solano, for some of you, be encouraged by what you are suffering for Christ and how he is using you. Those of you who have endured trials and have made sacrifices for the gospel, Christ promises more of his very self. He will be a treasure to you and he's using you to help others drink of his richness. But for others of us and for some of you, if you are struggling to really experience Christ as the unsearchable, the unsearchable richness and I would ask you, are you too much on the sidelines of the life of the church? Are you consuming but never committing? Does fear and comfort drive your decisions? Do you want the benefit of grace without the cost? Are you seeking the way of salvation without the way of the cross? But you know, um, to help us, to help encourage the Ephesians, to help encourage us to jump in, to embrace this calling to seek out Christ together. He gives us kind of the results and the picture of what happens when the church does that. In verse 10, he says this. This is, this is Paul's whole point. Everything that he's doing to be a minister of the gospel and help people experience Jesus as a treasure is, is for this point, verse 10. So that... So that the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So this is pretty astounding when you think about what it's saying. When God wants to show off his wisdom to the cosmic powers, he puts forward his best work to show it off. And it's the church? It's the church. Imagine for a second, you're trying to have important people come over to your house. Like yes, this weekend, we had all the uh, parents of the youth over to our house. You should have seen how hard we were cleaning up all weekend to make this thing happen. I know, like our kids became like slaves. Like, and we had a whip in our hands. His parents were coming over. Our house needed to look good, right? When important people come over, what do you do? You want your house looking good. You want to put your best foot forward, right? And that's not what God does. He sets an appointment for dinner with the most important people in the universe, the cosmic angels. 
He invites him to his house to show off the house when it's at its messiest. The kids just got in a fight. There's piles of laundry all over the place. The dog hasn't been washed in weeks. The backyard weeds are overgrown. Are you getting a sense of what it's like at our house normally? And he says, come over and check out my family. And that's what God is doing with the church. As messy and broken as it is to him, he's showing off his wisdom. So the church's glory is to be a display of God's wisdom. But I can't help but think, what is God thinking? How is this thing on earth, the church, a display of wisdom to heaven, the most pure and holy place? I mean, think about that. This is heaven, the most pure and holy place. And you know what's amazing is that heaven looks at the church and goes, wow, that's amazing. The church can't stop looking at what God is doing. I'm sorry, the the heaven, the angels can't stop looking at the church and what God is doing. And we're down here like, really? This? Us? Is a display of his wisdom to the angels? I think we're like that, uh, we're like the girl in that song from One Direction, you know, where she's beautiful but doesn't know she's beautiful. You guys know that song? That's like the church. Like, God says we're beautiful, and we're like, no, we're not. We're not beautiful. No, no, we're not. So what does God see? What is it? Why? I think he said it just earlier in the passage. He said this, the mystery, this is the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And God is saying, that is what his boast is. That is his wisdom that that, he has made that happen. We are a bunch of diverse people. When you see that word Gentiles, you need to think all tribes and nations all over the world have now become one body. Also, when you see the word Gentiles, you got to think people far from God, people who are lost, people who didn't, care about God, wouldn't want God, were rebelling against God, and he brought these diverse people hostile to him, and he made them into one people who are praising him and have now have salvation, and so this is God's wisdom. It's taking broken and hostile people and making them one by his work on the cross of forgiveness and reconciliation, and we are one in that And he brings us together. And you know what? That creates problems. It creates problems to bring us together into this fellowship where we're trying to love each other every day, every week, forever. On this side of earth, that creates problems. You know, this kind of reminds me when I go golfing. I love golfing. But I'm bad at it. Like, I'm a hack. Which is weird because I normally don't like things that I'm not good at. Um, but you know, the way, the way it is for me when I golf is if I hit one good shot, which usually I do hit one good shot, that's all I can think about. I'm happy because I one good shot. And you know, I think that's what God is saying. I think he's like that with the church because yes, you know, and there's a way in which the church were kind of hacks, you know, we kind of hit shots into the bunker and we miss two foot putts and we're hitting penalty shots and 
But you know, there's just one shot that puts a smile on God's face, and that's all he sees. And it's that Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. That's what puts a smile on his face when he looks at the church. That's what makes the angels in heaven just, just look at the church with utter amazement, what we're doing here. It is, it is beautiful to them that it is men and women coming together to worship Jesus because he died and rose again. And no matter how imperfectly, that's what it means for us that we have the riches of his grace, that it's unending love and patience for us in this endeavor called church. And so I want to end by just saying that's pretty cool, but what's the point? What's the point? What are we to do with that? Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul finally gets to his payoff, and he says to the church, don't lose heart. I want you to be bold. I want you to be confident in your calling. I don't want you to lose heart over what I'm suffering to you. We're in this together. And so for us to experience the glory of the church the way God has intended it, we need to make some commitments to one another. And I divided this up into two parts based on Paul saying, I'm suffering for you and I want you as a church not to lose heart. So there's a sense in which that dynamic is working here in the church. God has called some of us to be leaders in the church. He's given us this unique grace to be leaders and deacons and elders. And so we need to embrace the struggle if you are a leader, you need to embrace the struggle that God calls you to for the church. The strife and the hardship of leading this church, embrace that. Now I can vouch for some of the leaders being in the back, being behind the scenes that we do labor hard, all right? And we even fight amongst ourselves and we cry and we go to dark places and sometimes we feel like we wanna quit. Um, but we do that so we can do this better and better. And we gladly suffer these things because we have a sense that this is the glory of the church we're doing it for. And so, so then for the believers, for all of us, for the members, what we need to embrace is not to lose heart, to embrace the process that God has you on through the church, to become a minister of the gospel, to experience the, 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 him as a treasure, we have to embrace that. And so I don't know what that looks like for you to do that. Maybe it's jumping in. Maybe it's being patient. Maybe it's enduring. I'm not sure what that looks like. But you do what you need to do to not fade away. Do what you need to do to keep digging, to keep going after being like a Klondiker, going over the tough terrain. They just went after it till they got the gold. We need to be like that together. Because if God is pleased to boast in the church, we should not lose heart over the trials and obstacles we face. And if God is pleased to boast in the church, we should seek his help and with confidence and boldness. Because through Paul, God is saying to us, and he's saying this, I am with you, I am so with you, I am boasting in what's happening here. I am smiling about what's going on here. I love what's happening here. I can't get enough of what the church is doing, and that is our glory. Let's lean into that. Let me, let me pray.
Father God, I pray that you would use these sermons over the last four weeks about why church to bring us into um, just a conviction to seek after you by being in it together as a church, by being your people, by being salt and light. Lord, that we would embrace your call and the grace that you give us to minister to one another, that we would receive that by being a part of the church. Lord, everyone in here, you have a call on their life to know you and experience you as the true treasure of life that you are, the unfathomable treasure you are. And so would you help everyone take that step, whatever that looks like for them, to be a part of that so they could experience you. Would you give us the endurance to not lose heart? Lord, would you give us the conviction to suffer for you uh, rightly, to, to, um, Lord, to know that the food that we need is to do your will, that that would be what truly energizes us for this work. Would you encourage us um, to be the glory that we are, Lord, and we just bask in um, what it means that you are showing off who you are, your wisdom through us, Lord. Uh, we feel unworthy undeserving of that but that is your word that is the glory of your blood shed for sinners um, and that is what you are doing and bringing us together let's embrace that pray this in christ's name amen